Hey, before we begin this week's Scrum, I have some very important news. This Sunday, March 15th, David Bernstein, Peter Kadzis, and I are going to be going to Lucky's Lounge at 355 Congress Street in Boston right after the St. Patrick's Day breakfast to talk about what we just witnessed to relive the highs, the lows, the good jokes, the crappy jokes. A lot of you have really interesting things to say to us week in, week out about politics, whether it's via email or Twitter or Facebook. And we'd love to meet you in person and keep on talking. So come on down. From WGBH in Boston, I'm Adam Riley, and this is The Scrum. I'm joined today, as I often am, by Peter Kansas. Peter, how goes it? Not bad. You know, uh, you're lucky I came. I, I took a break from my busy marathon training. Oh, I didn't know you were doing that. Oh, yeah. yeah every year. You are a better man than I am. I, I had no clue. All these years I've known you. It's a well-kept secret. That's actually a very appropriate note for you to strike, because this week we are conducting a sort of case study in political psychology. I went over to City Hall in Boston and talk to a couple people about why they are fighting a fight that, to my eyes, looks pretty much unwinnable. I'm Kelly Gossett. I'm co-chair of the No Boston Olympics, and I live in Boston. Chris Dempsey, co-chair of No Boston Olympics, born and raised in Brookline, still live in Brookline Village. He, Chris Dempsey, is a Patrick administration veteran who now works at Bain. You may know it from such luminaries as Mitt Romney and Steve Pagliuca. Uh, He opposes the Olympics on nights and weekends. She, Kelly Gossett, is doing this full time, and neither one of them is getting paid for what they do. They're volunteers, so they are not in this for the big bucks. No, and I think, Adam, they have a a shot at prevailing. Really? Uh, Take a look at the action on Beacon Hill. You know, you have the governor expressing extreme skepticism. The Speaker of the House and the Senate president, they're pretty skeptical. It's interesting, because there's so much big money involved in this, Everyone is being very respectful. Although that might actually be um, changing a little bit, too, because we just had this disclosure of the salaries for people working for Boston 2024. Public outrage was stirred when it was uh, disclosed that former Governor Deval Patrick is making a cool 7500 bucks a day to travel and uh, and woo international big wigs on the Boston 2024's behalf. That's nice money, right? Yeah, that's nice. But, you, you, you know, I don't think he'll be pulling that down five days a week. Right. Um, and I think the Herald still has Patrick on the brain. What it really does is it, it, it sets up the world of high-paid uh, political talent and business talent, you know, versus two youngish idealistic people. It's telling that... Two the, crazy kids who think they can change well, the world? they're not crazy kids. Look at the Boston City Councilors who've stuck their neck out. Michelle Wu, who hasn't really opposed it, but she's asked key questions. Um, Councilor Zakem, who wants to have a non-binding referendum. Um, you see a generational split here. All right, let's get a sense of what Gossett and Dempsey think their chances of success actually are. I should note... We caught up with them at Boston City Hall right after the city council had conducted a hearing on Boston's thank Olympic bid. So we're actually sitting in the city council chambers, which I think is a room you know pretty well, right? Yeah, it's, it's a cold room. Hot air does not travel well there. Quick disclaimer before we start the tape. 
There was some kind of classical music in the background as we interviewed them. This was not a string quartet on the floor of the council chambers or anything like that. It was kind of mysterious classical music waves infiltrating themselves into our recording device. So it, it makes the interview sound classy. What's the frequency, Kenneth? <laughs> All right, let's take a listen to what Gossett and Dempsey had to say. I started out asking them if they had to graph their optimism about their chances of success over the course of time. What would the trend line on that graph look like? A Richter scale, yeah. honestly. Yeah, look, it's up and down. I mean, you, you look at the press and every single day there's a good story or there's a bad story. That's kind of the nature of an event or a, um, an activity like this one. Look, we, we're feeling pretty good. We look at the poll numbers that WBUR put out that show more opponents to the bid than supporters of the bid. Um, we think we are continuing to get our message out there every day. We have more people sign up on our website. We have more grassroots contributions. Clearly, the other side has far more resources to bring to bear to this question uh, and to this issue. But we think if we can be effective at providing a voice to the many people in Massachusetts that have concerns and are skeptical of this bid, that ultimately we can be effective. All right, so I still got to ask you, has that, has that conviction that you can be effective, has it changed over time? Has it abided throughout? Have you thought, oh, well, you mentioned the poll numbers, the BUR poll numbers, so I'm guessing that your optimism spiked after those numbers came out. Look, every day, even within the course of a day, there are ups and downs. But we feel as confident today as we did a month ago or two months ago that a, we can stop this bid, but B, I think most importantly, we can make the bid much more responsible and much better for the city of Boston. It is incredibly important to have voices that are calling into question whether this, bid, this particular bid makes sense. Kelly, I want to go back to you because um, Chris sounded very calm, cool, and collected as you talked about his uh, hopes for what the outcome might be. But yeah. he sounded that way right after you had made a Richter, uh, scale. Richter scale analogy. So, yeah. so does your own experience uh, being optimistic or he, pessimistic well, correspond with Chris? No, he's far more optimistic than I am always. doesn't matter about the topic. Um, he's just a very positive guy. Um, I think it's changed. It's evolved. There, I think the polling was very encouraging, for sure. You, the David and Goliath, though, continues. You were outmatched, and there's a new story that comes out every day that illustrates another really sophisticated, um, successful political operative joining that side, and they're, they're staffing up and up and up and up, and then you rec recognize that there's just the three of us doing this. That is, um, But then we do have the voice of like half the city and folks coming from all over the region saying, please keep what you're doing. Keep up what you're doing. That means something. So there's the um, emotional component of, yay, we are making an impact, um, but there's been highs and lows since I came aboard, honestly. And I think, though, to Chris's point, the transparency, like we, we know we're making impact. They, they're forced to have these conversations where we're elevating this and amplifying it. Um, you mentioned low points throughout the process. What was your lowest point? Um, I think in October when we were, I was told that you know, we didn't have any currency in the debate to have that conversation. Who said that? It was in the news. Um, I don't know if we should really... Yeah, you should. Absolutely. It was in the Herald. John Fish said that. Um, and that, was, that just stung, not, at, not on an ego perspective whatsoever. Honestly, it stung more that I'm just a taxpayer, a resident who lives here. So dissent is still important. And how can that not be part of the debate? Why is that not part of this dialogue? No, I don't need to be a you know, powerful, very well-connected, fancy um, 
Titan to be able to be involved in this conversation. And I felt like that was really just disappointing about the, just the nature of this issue and the nature of debate in Boston and Massachusetts in 2014 at the time. So that was, that was a low point for me. Chris, how about you? I'd say, um, look, we were hoping to knock this thing off at the USOC level. We were hoping that our, we, our work there was sort of done and we could wipe our hands clean and move on to the next thing in our professional and personal lives. Uh, I know my girlfriend would much rather have had the <laughs> Olympics go elsewhere to a different city so she could reclaim some more of uh, my time. So, look, I mean, I think that was um, not entirely surprising to us because the boosters had said that they thought they had a 70 or 80 percent chance of advancing. We thought we had been relatively effective at that stage, uh, being the only city with sort of an organized opposition movement, and that that was potentially enough to um, scare the USOC off to a different city. Uh, so, you know, we were hoping for that. It didn't work out. Um, at the same time, um, it's been a lot of fun since then. You mentioned um, the hope that you might, among other things, make the bid better. And maybe this has been something you've talked about for a long time, and I'm just not aware of it, but I'm wondering if that reflects a, a shifting in your goals over the course of the time you've been doing this, because obviously the name of your group isn't, you know, Better Boston 2024 bid or something like that. It's no Boston Olympics. So did you guys change your goals at a certain point? We've been pretty clear from day one that we do not think it's inconsistent to oppose the bid while also making working to make the bid better. Uh, and so, no, it's not a change in goals. It's just uh, recognizing that if the goal, if the ultimate goal for all of us in this debate is to make this city better off, you don't necessarily accomplish that by digging in your heels and being obstinate. Um, you need opposition, you need strong opposition, but you also need to say, here are some areas where the bid is incredibly weak. I think it's important to note Yes, our name is No Boston Olympics. We don't necessarily oppose the idea of the Olympics. We oppose the Boston 2024 bid. And so we want to make that particular bid better. It's possible that that bid gets so much better that it becomes an Olympics that we can get behind. So I got to hop in here to stop the tape because, Peter Kedzis, that little bit really took me by surprise. Well, I was a bit surprised too, but let's think about it. Before the U.S. Olympic Committee designated Boston, they were opposed to it. Now that it's a possible fait accompli, they want to shape things. I got the sense, talking to the two of them, that they are still trying to figure out how to walk this balancing act. They can't be too strident in their opposition because they do want a seat at the table as the process unfolds. But at the same time, they've got this sort of habit of mind they built up in their earlier months of activism where they really just wanted to kill this thing altogether. And conveniently enough, we had a perfect physical representation of this tension just a few feet away from us while we we're doing the interview. They had brought with them, Gossett and Dempsey, this big novelty check that they were thinking about making use of at the hearing. It was to show basically what a risk to the Boston taxpayers the Olympics would be. And they didn't use it. It's um, made out to the IOC signed by Boston taxpayers, the memo says Boston 2024, but the amount is blank because we don't really know what Boston taxpayers will have to kick in. They provide the guarantee, they hand the check over, and then the IOC figures out how much it's worth. Are you going to go after we wrap up here and present that check to Boston Mayor Marty Walsh? We are not. No. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know, you mean you bring up Mayor Walsh. We feel like we have a good relationship with him. Uh, he uh, invited us in to talk about a month ago, we're coming in 
again this coming week, right as your show will air. It'll be right around then. Um, and he's clearly a booster. He's clearly a supporter. At the same time, we fundamentally believe that he does care about the city, he cares about protecting taxpayers. Those are the same things that we care about, and so there is common ground. Let me ask you a little more about that, because when I see things like the city letterhead appearing next to Boston 2024 letterhead, it strongly suggests to me that Boston 2024 is an extension of City Hall and vice versa. So the idea that you could find common ground with the mayor when it seems clear that the mayor has picked sides, I'm kind of bowled over. I I could tell that you were optimistic from what you said before, but that almost sounds Pollyannish to me. Well, I think we've been asked a lot and people have raised a lot, like where does 2024 end and the mayor's office begin? I think that is one question that's its own tangent. I think we know, I've worked with Marty, um, we all have, that he deeply cares about this city, So we and we do as well. So I think the spirit of collaboration is important, and it's, it's a, every day it's an iterative process of figuring out how we get there um, and figuring out the different arguments from different sides. Um, we're going to trust that um, Mayor Walsh, who was elected on a platform of inclusiveness and on bringing people together um, and has governed like that, we think, we're going to trust that that's what he truly believes and that's how he acts um, until proven otherwise. And there's, we haven't seen anything that would um, lead us to believe that he um, is not open to a bigger debate and not open to hearing our point of view. What about, and I don't remember which public meeting it was, but um, the meeting at which people were urged to contact uh, various individuals if they wanted to help out with the Olympic bid or if they wanted to speak out in support of it, but there was no contact information provided for people who might be concerned with the bid or opposed to it. Um, I mean, does that suggest full inclusivity? I think that's, you know, it's a good point, right? Um, and as Kelly said, it's, there's not always a lot of daylight between the mayor's office and Boston 2024. Uh, we were very happy to be invited to testify before the city council today and have uh, an equal opportunity to um, what Boston 2024 had. So, um, yeah, you know, look, I, we will criticize the public meetings that are happening. I mean, I think that they are more a form for venting um, and for citizens to show frustration and, and opposition and sometimes support, then they are truly an opportunity to influence or shape the bid. It, it may impact things around, around the edges, but it's not at all clear to us that there is a process in place yet to really change the course of the bid or to fundamentally change some of the um, things that we see as, as most troublesome. Yeah, I just think that um, the phrase is used a lot, proof of concept phase, and this is all just gathering information. But um, when does that shift into the next phase and when does that plan actually come together? And do you know, did you make a persuasive argument enough about the beach volleyball and the common? When does that decision get made? Who's making it? Those things, because people ask that all, to us all the time and we're not really sure, to be honest. And if we, we're not sure and we're being privileged enough to have these conversations with the mayor or 2024, um, the average folk has not a chance. As you know, I wanted to ask you what it's like to oppose something uh, that seems like a foregone conclusion. But I wonder if, in a way, the fact that what you are opposing seems like a foregone conclusion is also your best ammunition as you seek to oppose it, the best motivating factor that you guys have to draw. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think uh, the fact that 
Boston 2024 seems to think it's a foregone conclusion sometimes and that they have conducted this process without a lot of transparency, without a lot of input from the community, has um, sort of sown the seeds of opposition at this stage. And I think a lot of that frustration that you are seeing at community meetings around the city is born from that decision to not be open and transparent from day one. I think that's absolutely right, Adam. Another thing I'd say is we think the facts are on our side. I mean, we think that we are bringing solid information to this debate and the more time that we have to get it out there and contrast it with what Boston 2024 is saying, the more we win. So the more coverage of this, the more opportunity to hear both sides of the story, the better it is for us. Is there anything that you guys would not do in your attempts to either uh, prevent the Boston 2024 bid from going forward or your attempts to, to reshape it? I mean, is there a certain line you wouldn't cross. I'm talking about realistic, plausible lines. Like, do you, for example, um, maybe I should shut up and not say, is there, is there some stuff that you could do, like go to court, say, that no. you have decided you're not going to do? No, I, I don't think we have that long-term strategy done. We still keep saying, we're still battling over what makes sense um, with just what staffing we have, what resources we have to even do, to how do we do pursue referendum, if at all? How do you pursue um, legislation, if at all? How do you, to do those sophisticated and well, knowing um, how outmatched we can be in certain departments, I think is really important. So um, we're still in the reactive phase to some degree, unfortunately, then the proof of, just as much, well said, honestly, um, to do it well and do it right, um, we want to be thoughtful about. So, and we need the resources and collaboration of other folks as well, but right now you're just talking to us. Chris, what would you say? I think there's a lot we wouldn't do. I think we've shown that in the year and a half or so that we've been in existence. A lot you would not do? Yeah, I mean, look, we've, we've never gone off after the boosters personally. We've never questioned their motivations. Uh, we are trying to be seen as um, helpful to the process and not obstructive. So we are not going to be chaining ourselves to barrels and sitting down in the road in 93. I mean, this is, um, this is about having a, a deep and real debate. That's only going to happen if we're smart about the way we... Yeah. The, way, the message we have and also the way we deliver that message. And be respectful. There's not been, like, gotcha moments. We're not trying to get anyone, I think. And also in the hearing process, we try to be very professional and um, respectful of the process of what that is like, even when there's times when it, it, it's hard to do so. Are there some people who are part of what you described as your team who want to be more aggressive to whom you have to say, guys, you know, those are not the right tactics for what we're trying to get done here? There are, and we've done that, um, and we've had those conversations. Uh, they're, look, they're individuals, and they can do whatever they want, but um, we try to be careful about what's done under the name of No Boston Olympics. Uh, some of the boosters have um, sort of intimated that, you know, that's actually our greatest weakness, is that uh, there are folks on the fringe who are going to use this issue as an opportunity to get their own message out or to um, push their own agenda, uh, we like to think that we've done a pretty good job of managing that so far. Uh, it's not to say that, that you know, the situation won't change going forward, but it is certainly important to us to try to be careful about the way we talk about things, um, who we say certain things to. 
et cetera. Yeah, and pick your spots of what you can control and what you can't. So the fact that there are folks that might have a different tactic at certain meetings that aren't affiliated with us, that's okay. We can't control that. And if it's adding to the cacophony of just no to this, maybe that's something, but it's not something that we can lose too much sleep over. Have you tried to dissuade anyone who's not working with you guys explicitly or specifically, but you know, is, is an opponent? I mean, is, have you ever talked with, say, unaffiliated groups uh, or unaffiliated individuals to say, hey, I noticed you doing such and such at, at this meeting that just wrapped up. Are you sure that's the, the best way to go? Maybe those of us who are skeptical about the bid should be a little more moderate in our approach? I, I have done that. I have uh, reached out to some of the other opposition groups and said, hey, you know, you guys are free to do whatever you want, but if it were us, we wouldn't do this for X, Y, Z reason. And we think you might be more effective if you also hold back and not be so aggressive or not take this particular tactic. And what has the response been when you've done that? It's been pretty good so far. I mean, I think um, that, look, they're the, everyone out there is their own individual and can, and can do what they want, and we do not um, lay any claim to um, their actions or, or their decisions. But we like to think that there is some respect for our approach and that um, as we provide advice to others who are aligned with us or allied with us, that they um, will at least think through something a little bit further if we've had a chance to talk to them. This is odd in Boston because this fight against the Olympics has turned into a battle of ideas, somewhat a battle of facts and figures. It pits different interests against each other, and I think what Kelly and Chris have going for them is they're fighting with ideas. You know, my recommendation to them, not that they needed this, to get people to write op-ed pieces, write letters to the editor, keep it on a high intellectual level. That's how they're going to win. When you say that they're fighting a battle of ideas, what do you mean exactly? Because what I thought of was that this is sort of a, a political philosophical debate, painting in kind of a broad brush, but it's sort of a classic populist versus elite battle. I th Now, is that what you mean? Or you no, that's exactly else? what I mean. It's the moneyed interests, you know, the State Street interests, if you will, against the neighborhood interests. All right. Peter Kansas, as always, good to talk to you. Great. Now I can get back to training. <laughs> Thanks to Chris Dempsey and Kelly Gossett from No Boston Olympics for taking the time to meet with us this week in the city council chambers. We're going to be doing an episode of the Scrum on Olympic boosters and proponents in the near future, so stay tuned for that. Thanks as well to Lauren Dzenski, who's doing a great job covering the Olympic bid for the Dorchester Reporter. Basically, if anyone with any sort of political bend in the city or state didn't get a job in, in Walsh's administration or the Baker administration, they're going to work for Boston 2024. You'll hear more from her in the near future as well. The Scrum's first ever meetup is this Sunday at Lucky's Lounge in Boston at 1 p.m. sharp. You can find more information on that on our website, wgbhnews.org slash scrum. Thanks to all of you who've rated and reviewed the Scrum in iTunes. If you haven't done it already, there's still time. You should do it. As always, you can find links to past episodes and blog posts, as well as to Stitcher, iTunes, and that kind of thing on our website, wgbhnews.org slash scrum. Thanks to Alan Mattis, who mixed this week's episode for us. Our producer is Abby Ruzica, and I am Adam Riley. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. We'll catch you again next week. Hail, hail, wrecking ball.
Well, hey, hey, wrecking ball. Well, hey, 